Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, Episode 15. Hello and welcome to the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. We put this show together to inspire you and help you break through to the life that you want to live through the power of real estate investing. My name is Rob Brake and here with me with his golf handicap of five is Sandy McKay. How you doing Sandy? <laughs> Fantastic Rob and happy to be here again looking to create some breakthroughs today. Let's, uh, I think we got some, some real uh, exciting stuff in this interview coming up. Me too, but you know, with a handicap like that, and you were telling me it used to be one, you, you really should be working more, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's what they say. Hey, if, you're, if your golf game is too good, you're not working enough on your business. I guess that's why I've dropped the, the four strokes there. I've been working a bit on my business too much. Exactly. Well, I guess yeah. you got to go one way or the other. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you went to school. Uh, you went to like a golf school. Yeah, yeah, I used to do a, a little bit of golfing. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. And still, well, that's a good networking tool. I think that's where that's where we first met uh, our, ho- our, not our host, our guest coming up in this episode. So, you know, it's still useful. It all ties in. Yeah. Uh, so, as always, we want to recommend everyone go to BreakthroughRAPodcast.ca Pick up our free gift there, the seven freedom activators that you can trigger in your property starting right now. It's a free report there. All you got to do is throw your name and email in there and you'll get that for free. And you'll also get access to every podcast emailed to you as they come out. So you never miss an episode. And also, you know, you can go on there and check out our blogs, uh, bios, links to our services, all kinds of other interesting things. So go on over and check it out. BreakthroughREIPodcast.ca and there's also that little uh, platform called iTunes. I think they should probably go subscribe there too, huh? Go subscribe there and give us a rating and a review. You know, everyone, if you enjoy the show, if you like what we're doing here, then just hop on over there and write us a little review. Let us know. Let other people know if you like it. That way, you know, you can share it with other people. Don't be greedy. Other people want to hear the show. And you know, Rob, I was telling you last night, uh, I was at a, a RAIN event here in in uh, Toronto, and we are talking to somebody that was mentioning that one of their buddies out in Calgary was listening to the show, and a couple of people I've heard in, in Vancouver, BC area. So, I mean, for us being from uh, Toronto, or Toronto area, you know, it's good to hear that it's reaching those uh, those places as well, and people are listening in. So I think it's really growing. Everyone who is commenting, reviewing, and everything like that is is really helping. So we're very, very appreciative. Yeah, it is kind of cool. Uh, people don't recognize me, but sometimes when I'm talking, they'll come up and say, "I recognize your voice." That's <laughs> uh, a little bit different. I think it is catching on. Yeah, for sure. I mean, not really the goal to get famous, but it, the goal is to just create awesome value and help as many people as we can, right? So if, uh, if, I think the last thing I want is to be famous. Yeah, I know. But I love doing the show. Totally. So now it's time for today's investment tip. I guess that works. (laughs) (laughs) So today's investment tip is for everyone to go over to BreakthroughREI.ca. 
you know, we got a new Facebook page up too at facebook.com slash breakthrough REI. And we finally got that up and running. You know, we're going to pump out some more value in there and put every episode up, share some links, share some other cool stuff there. So everyone should go like that page. So how do you find it? That's facebook.com slash breakthrough REI. Cool, cool. So we're a couple weeks into our renovation project that the two of us are working on together. And there's been a few challenges, of course, but it seems to be going along as planned anyway. Exactly um, as planned, right? <laughs> exactly as planned. There's been no no surprises at all. Yeah. But I mean, you know, all the stuff that's come up, we've been able to figure out how to move forward. And, and this one... It, it is turning out to be the scope of work is a little bit more than what we had initially anticipated, but I we've reworked everything, and I think we're going to do just fine. Well, you know what the most important thing is about it, I think, Rob, is, and Blake's going to talk about this too in the interview coming up, is having some people to ask questions to, having a team to to answer your questions on a moment's notice if you need them to, and, and help you out, and just have people that you can kind of consult with on different challenges that pop up because there's always going to be be things that come up right no matter how much you plan and and think you've planned for a project there's always things that pop up so it's having a team around you is just so important and and valuable yeah and you know what the funny thing that i've found too is that every time i've run into something where it just takes asking the right person hey do you have a guy for this and usually I could find one one person in my group that, that'll that say, yeah, I got the best guy for that. And you give them a call. And, and so that kind of stuff is val- really, really valuable. Mm-hmm. So in this value-packed interview we got coming up with Blake Wyatt, we're going to discuss some really, really crucial elements of uh, land development. And Blake's going to tell us about the challenges and roadblocks to watch out for when getting involved in land development. He's going to talk about his journey to creating his own land development company, and he's going to disclose his number one tip for investors interested in land development. And I mean, those are just a few of the of the things he talks about. There's a lot, a lot of uh, good knowledge to take in in this interview, and it's really, really a good interview. I think it's fantastic. Hey, Rob. Oh yeah, it was. It was really good. And this sort of veers away from the my traditional idea of investing. I don't have really any knowledge on uh, land development, so it was pretty cool to hear how how all of that side of things works. Yeah, and you lied because now you have quite a bit of knowledge after listening to the interview. Well, this is before the interview, Sandy. <laughs> Shh. Okay. So here it is, our interview with Blake Wyatt. I'm happy to introduce our guest tonight, Blake Wyatt. He is a land developer and investor, and I'm very excited about this interview because I'm not familiar with land development, so I'm really looking forward to learning. Blake, welcome to the show. Good. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Yeah, awesome. Um, You know, I'll do a little intro here uh, to you, Blake, and then uh, if you have anything to add to it, uh, feel free to do so. So Blake is the CEO of Wyatt Development Group, a privately held real estate development and asset management group based in Oakville, Ontario. And Blake's 
uh, has over 11 years of experience in real estate and financial services with extensive experience in development, financing, and investment. Uh, since 2009, he's been involved in structuring, consulting, and funding complex debt and equity transactions, including private lending, joint ventures, syndications, and exempt market offerings. Uh, previously, he's worked at a, as a real estate broker in the Vancouver market, uh, developing deep knowledge and experience in the development industry, both in project, ma- uh, project marketing and land acquisitions. And uh, Blake has studied urban land economics and real estate at the University of uh, British Columbia, and also real estate development at the Urban Land Institute in Washington, D.C. So a lot of info there, but uh, certainly uh, well qualified to be speaking on this tonight. Good, thank you. So Blake, can you tell us how you got started and take us down the path from there to where you are today? Um, I can tell that story and kind of fill fill some holes in that uh, that bio there. But um, you know, I, I always had an interest in in real estate from a very young age. Um, you know, my parents had built a number of new homes when I was a child, and probably from the age of five. I was interested in construction and architecture, and uh, I actually started drawing houses about that age, and I used to draw up subdivisions and site plans and things like that. Uh, certainly not riveting activity for most kids, but uh, it was a passion of mine that I knew would be become a career for me at some point. Uh, my parents always figured I'd be, be a real estate agent or an architect. Um, you know, so I did my thing for a number of years and at age 22 and uh, in 2006, I bought my first property, which was a condo in uh, Port Moody, BC, just outside Vancouver that I paid, uh, 290,000 for at the time. And, uh, from that point on, I was, I was really hooked on real estate. I love the process from walking into a sales office to working with the developer to pick finishings. And, and I really love seeing a finished product and a community rise up from from a pile of dirt. And uh, at that point, I was working in the financial services industry, but I knew I really wanted to pursue a career in, re- in real estate and development. So, um, you know, at that point in my life, though, I, I didn't really know much about the business, and uh, nor did I have the financial resources to get started. So I ended up calling a good family friend who, who I knew quite well, um, and he's developed many many townhouse projects in, in BC, probably built about uh, 2,000 units at that point. And I, I took him out for lunch and I, I said to him, I want to learn more about what you do and, and how you do it. And, um, you know, he, he explained it to me, but at that point, you know, not having the background, I didn't really understand it fully. But what that lunch gave me was was a thirst for more knowledge. So, you know, I followed his advice and uh, got my real estate license shortly thereafter and uh, became an agent and uh, used that opportunity to network with developers and investors and learn as much about the the industry as I could. And I was fortunate to have some opportunities to help launch uh, new condo projects um, as part of the sales team and then also represent uh, developers on purchasing land. So, you know, that experience really allowed me to see things through the developer's eyes as well as get my my feet wet and better understand the actual work that goes into various stages of development, you know, everything from land acquisition to sales and marketing of of the finished product. So it was certainly a worthwhile uh, investment of my time. Um, And uh, after a few years, I felt I had a really good framework of 
you know, general understanding of the business, but there were still some miss- missing pieces that, uh, you know, of that puzzle that I wanted to solve. And for me, the biggest one was still, um, how do you finance a project? And I knew, you know, how to successfully, or I knew to successfully develop, you needed access to literally millions of dollars, which of course I didn't have. And in 2009, I, I shifted gears again and started working for a large development and investment firm raising capital uh, for their projects in Alberta. And at that time, Alberta was red hot. Uh, investors were earning robust returns, both in mortgages and private equity. Um, and I continued in that uh, that space, working in development finance um, for a number of years, which brought me to Toronto in 2011. And shortly thereafter that, I started my own advisory firm, uh, working with a small number of developers and investment firms, raising private debt and equity financing, typically projects in the kind of one to ten million dollar range in terms of uh, of equity requirement. So, uh, you know, working in that space for me really opened up a number of doors and opportunities for me to be more involved in the development industry. And and I was fortunate to become you know an expert in joint ventures and various development financing structures throughout that time. And uh, I was also able to attract many quality and experienced developers as my clients who were instrumental in helping me reach the next step in my career and my ultimate goal to becoming a developer. So in late 2013, I was ready to take that next step and I started Wide Development Group and purchased my first piece of development land, which was a one-acre site in Hamilton, uh, on the mountain, and uh, we're developing 15 executive-style townhomes there. And have spent the last year in uh, preliminary planning stages, raising our first round of equity financing, and we're now in the early stages of obtaining our municipal approval. So at this point, we're on track to complete uh, this project in late 2016, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm now looking for other uh, parcels of land to purchase. Okay. So I guess that pretty much answered my second question there. Now, I guess that wouldn't have been the first land development deal that you worked on, though, would it? Like, that was your own, that was the first one you did uh, through your own company, right? Yeah, correct. So how do you decide whether or not a parcel of land is good as a, for a development project? Like, what is the criteria for you? Yeah, um, well, I, I look at a number of things, and I think... You know, these are important factors for all real estate investors, not just developers. And, you know, knowing that you have a diverse group of listeners, I think this is an important point that anybody can can grasp, whether they want to develop or whether they own student housing or commercial property or whatever it may be. Um, but, you know, really understanding things like zoning and how that impacts land value and understanding official community plans and things like that and how they work can greatly increase the potential value of any real estate asset, uh, whether you intend intend to develop the site yourself or not. So, for example, if you own a small commercial plaza on a main road in a major city and the city announces plans for, say, future light rail, your land just became very, very valuable to developers. So... You know, understand that developers value land based on potential density, right? So, um, you know, if the opportunity to increase density on your property exists, 
the value of the land underneath that commercial plaza you own has just increased exponentially. So understanding how a developer identifies development sites is a really useful tool for any investor looking to maximize their own property portfolio and maximize their asset value. Um, so going going back to your question, um, you know, first I try to get an understanding of the municipality and the location that I want to develop in. So I'm going to be asking questions and do research looking for information like what is the population growth rate um, and how does it compare to the provincial average? What areas of the city do people want to live in and why? Uh, who is moving to the community and why? Are they moving for jobs, lifestyle, affordability, proximity to a major city? Who are the major employers? Is there a one you know, employer town or is it quite diverse? And I want to get a good understanding of the development or the, or the demographics of that area. Things like average age, average income. Any development project needs to meet the market demand for that community and that location. So understanding the local market will paint a picture for me as to what type of project may be viable in a given location. And I'm so looking, do you, oh, go ahead. So do you focus on purely on residential or do you do commercial, industrial, or is it just mostly um, residential? Mostly residential right now, and and you know I'm, I'm I got more information too in terms of how I evaluate a specific site, um, which will kind of cover off you know what I look for in a residential site. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know once once I kind of get a picture of what the uh, community is like, you know I, I want to make my analysis more site specific, right? So I'm looking for um, when I when I find a development site specifically, I look for number one zoning and time frame to develop. So does the current zoning allow what I want to build or not? And if not, is my request for a zoning change reasonable? Is the location development ready, or do I need to wait a few years for the city's growth to find its way there? Uh, number two would be proximity to services, so things like hydro, roads, sewer. And the impact that this was going to have on my costs. Uh, number three is: Do I anticipate any environmental risk, like with soil types, contamination, agricultural, or conservation authority issues? So, for example, if I was going to be developing a residential project on a former gas station site, one of the key things to look at is is that your ground is likely going to be contaminated. And you're going to be looking at significant cost and time to remediate that site to make it suitable for for residential. Um, And lastly would be, is the project viable? You know, in some cases, your costs exceed your end sale price. Uh, You know, so you need to make sure it's profitable, of course. Uh, You know, getting maximum density is not always the name of the game. In uh, some communities, the market prices will not support what it costs uh, you to build. So for for example, high-rise condos in downtown Toronto are much more viable. Um, well, it wouldn't be in a smaller rural community. And by the same argument, building single-family homes on large lots wouldn't be economical in downtown Toronto, but would be in a smaller city. So you need to find that that ideal medium somewhere in the middle. So those would be the things that I would go through on any potential development site to start. Okay, cool. So are you building to sell all of them, or do you keep anything? Uh, I'm building to sell. 
Rob, you're blindsiding me with these questions. Sandy sent me a list. They weren't on it. <laughs> well, you're answering them all before we can ask them. <laughs> uh, well, one thing I do want to say, though, is, um, you know, I, I really enjoy your, your tweets because they're quite a bit different than um, – it's not just you regurgitating articles. Um, you've got a lot of personal stuff there and a lot of uh, funny stuff on there. So I like that. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, you know what? I, I think in this uh, business, you know, everybody's faceless, right? And I, I try to be uh, interactive and if people want to get a hold of me. And, you know, I, I'm never never short of opinions. So, <laughs> uh, Blake, can you give us an example of a real – um, a development project you've been involved with and just walk us through the basic structure and procedure of uh, the mechanics of it? Yeah, I mean, I've I've kind of created a fictional example here just to not really disclose anything, you know, overly proprietary, but I, I think the numbers are pretty close to what reality would be, and I think the, the scenario I've created here is pretty, pretty close to reality. But um, uh, l- let's say I wanted to build a 30-unit townhouse project in, say, Waterloo. Um, you know, firstly, when I first identify that site, you know, the first thing I'm going to want to do is just kind of create a little bit of a draft budget and pro forma and, and, you know, based on what I think I can do with that property. It's going to be very, very rough and very vague at that point, but it gives me a general uh, framework in terms of what I know I'm working with. And uh, I'm, I'm going to do a market study in the area to d- determine real estate values and what I think my product can sell for. And, uh, you know, all, all this is to understand my sale prices, project costs, development and construction schedule. And this can take, again, time and research if you're new. But, you know, once you're experienced, you can generally evaluate a potential site in your head um, pretty quickly to know if it has potential to be viable or not. So secondly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make an inquiry with the municipality as to the current zoning of the site and also find out their requirements and costs in case I do need to rezone. So once I've done that, I'm, I'm going to make an offer to purchase the property. And, you know, truth be told, I can probably spend an hour just talking about terms on buying land. But, you know, to kind of summarize it into one paragraph, you know, I think um, in this case, let's assume that I put 90-day conditions on there for initial financing, feasibility, study, environmental, legal review. Let's assume I come to an agreement with the vendor for $1.5 million for this two-acre property. Uh, I also want to make that offer conditional for one year to obtain municipal approval for zoning. Now, sometimes a vendor won't accept that, but you might look at a scenario where they hold back a mortgage on it. But as a developer, your goal should be to tie up your capital for as little time as possible. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to close on the land, ideally, right away in terms of putting all your equity in. So next, I'm going to want to create a conceptual plan for the project, and that includes um, initial site plan, site layout, architectural and exterior and interior design concepts. And I'm going to want to bring my concept to the municipality's planning department for a formal meeting and find out their level of interest and support for my plan. And during this meeting, they will give me a list of requirements that must be met, the applications that must be submitted. Uh, Typically, you'd have zoning, draft plan, site plan, as well as municipal and, uh, excuse me, as well as 
municipal fees involved and the approximate timeline to get there. So from there, I can further validate my costs and my schedule from there. So next, I want to structure my financing. You know, I know on a project like this, it's going to cost me about $10 million to build, including land, construction, marketing, uh, municipal fees, soft costs, which would be engineers, architects, planners, etc. And I know uh, a commercial or construction lender will typically lend anywhere between you know, 7.5 and 8.5 million on the $10 million. So in this case, let's assume they lend 7.5 and I need to raise 2.5 million in equity. Hmm. So, so this can be the developer's own equity or they can create a joint venture structure with uh, an investor or a group of investors. You know, a common structure that I see is uh, investors will put up anywhere between 80 to 90% of the equity. So in this case, of that 2.5 million in return for a 50% profit split at the back end. So the developer might bring 10 to 20% of the equity plus their expertise to the project in return for their 50% profit split. Um, so on a project like this, your target profit would probably be around $2 million total. Uh, so roughly $1 million a piece for the developer and then the investors. So, um, you know, once once the equity is raised, that will give you sufficient working capital to get your municipal approvals, the project designed, created, marketed, and ready for sales. So let's assume in this case that your construction lenders has agreed to finance construction after you have 50% pre-sales, so 15 units. The purpose of your equity money needs to be to get you to the point that the project becomes construction ready and shovels can hit the ground. So you need to make sure it's sufficient. And once uh, once construction is complete, if all goes well, your buyers receive occupancy and you can exit your project. Uh, it sounds simple, but of course it's not, right? And this process can take anywhere between two to six years, depending on the municipality you're dealing with and the type of product you're building. So on a project like, like this, let's assume that it took three years. So, so you said it was a 15 unit in this scenario here? 30, right? It was it was a 30 unit, but 15 30. sales would be required for for construction financing. Oh, okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. So, I was just trying to add this up here in my head, but I can't use my head, so I got a calculator. <laughs> so, you're looking at um, a sale price of around $400,000 a unit per per unit. Yeah, theoretically in this case, that's kind of your your number. So, if uh yeah, I guess thirty units at say four hundred grand. You're grossing about twelve million. You nailed it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay. So, what kind of challenges in Roblox do you face when you're doing a deal like this? Oh, I mean, there I'm are sure many. Yeah, I'm sure there's there a long many. list, but maybe some yeah. of the main ones that you often would see. Well, development has significant upside, but also huge risk, right? And yeah. um, you know, every stage has its own degree of risk. Um, you have risk the day you buy the site. I mean, it probably takes you anywhere between fifty to 100000 in capital just to find out if the site is developable or not in terms of due diligence and stuff that must be done. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you have risk the day you acquire the land. Um, there's environmental risk. I mean, you can get your environmental report that you think is going to be clean and it comes back with you know all sorts of challenges that you didn't know. They might find you know archaeological um 
you know, artifacts that you weren't aware of, which is <clears throat> going to set you back. Um, there's zoning risk, there's entitlement risk. Uh, those would be, you know, probably some of the hardest to manage because you're dealing with, with political process and you're dealing with, um, you know, in a lot of cases, people's emotions, you know, a lot of people don't want their communities to be developed and they don't want, uh, density being added. So it's a very, um, emotionally charged process and, and oftentimes, Cities and councils will, um, you know, listen to the voter, even though their planning department might have supported what you want to do at the site, right? Uh, there's political risk. I mean, if you get caught in an election year, which we're seeing right now, and, you know, a lot of applications in municipalities have kind of been on hiatus for a couple months. You know, there's market risk. I mean, you might have that, you know, sale price pegged at 400000 but, you know, you might get a 10% correction in the market, which has happened, and you know your margins are cut in half, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you might have misjudged the market in terms of, you know, are buyers in this area going to pay, say, more for quality or more for a different floor plan or, um, you know, things like that that you weren't aware of, or maybe somebody else with a competing product comes on the market at the same time and they undercut your prices by ten percent, right? I mean, these are all things that you can't control. Uh, financing risk. I mean, you know, it's predicated on you being successful in, in raising the capital, both the equity and and the construction portion. Um, you know, we saw in 2009 in the financial crisis, um, you know, very good projects that were approved and profitable and well designed, where there was demand, could not get construction financing because the capital markets dried up. Uh, when that happens, you're paying interest on your land loan. You are um, you know, your land values drop when it comes up for renewal and you have to refinance, you're now sinking potentially millions of equity just to av- avoid having your mortgage go into default, right? So, you know, those things, they're, they're not small. They cost millions of dollars. And, you know, n- nothing is ever fully eliminated in this business, but they can be mitigated. And I think the key to that is hiring and leading the right team of experts as your consultants. Uh, You'll need an excellent lawyer who has experience in development. You need a whole team of engineers with varying specialties, guys who do traffic studies and environmental, archaeological, so on and so forth. You need an urban planner who can help you navigate the municipal issues that you're going to face, an architect, a realtor, mortgage broker, uh, your lenders, a reputable builder. I mean, all those things are just the starting point of what you need. And I guess it's probably tough to find reasonable prices as well, too, right? You know, the prices are being driven up right now, and so I would imagine that's pretty tough, too. Yeah, land prices are being driven up, absolutely. And, um, you know, and, and not only that, it's it's hard to get good terms. Like I mentioned earlier, like if I was going to buy, you know, a property with a one-year condition to get zoning, you know, maybe if I'm lucky I can find a vendor who's willing to take that. But the problem is, is XYZ developer down the street who has the cash resources to buy it in cash is going to give him the same price with a quick close, which obviously he's going to prefer, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, not only land price is creeping up, but it's it's the terms. So, you know, because of that, I, I personally, you know, prefer markets that are on the outer periphery of, of the GTA. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're dealing in downtown Toronto, like that's the kind of 
people you're going to be dealing with. But if you look at the Hamiltons and the Waterloos and the Oshawas and the Berries of the world, you know, you might get lucky enough to find a site where you can pay a fair price and get decent terms. Is there a big difference in doing this type of thing in Vancouver or BC, for instance, compared to Ontario or the GTA? Is it all pretty much uh, pretty similar? You know what? It, it's similar. Um, in BC, they have a different approval process. Um, like, for example, in Ontario, we, we have zoning. Then we have uh, draft plan approval and site plan approval. Um, in BC, they don't have site plan approval. Basically, you go from zoning to development permit. So it's a little bit of a different uh, variation on it. But, you know, fundamentally, the business is more or less the same. Uh, what, what we have in Ontario that's wonderful is what's called the OMB, which is the Ontario Municipal Board. And what, what that is, it, it's a government entity that oversees planning at a provincial level. And any municipality that overturns or any municipality that rejects a development application of any kind can be brought to the OMB by the developer and have the, the province overrule the municipal decision. Um, so a lot of great projects that we see around our cities have actually been um, done that way, where the city says no, the OMB says yes. Uh, other jurisdictions in Canada do not have that. If the city says no, you're back to the drawing board or you have to walk away. You don't really have any other options. So um, I'd say in that sense, the the market here is very developer-friendly. That's cool. So that's an independent board. Yeah, it's, you know, to be honest, someone who has more experience with municipal matters could probably explain it better. I'm fortunate that I haven't been involved with them. Like, I've never been involved in a project that wasn't approved. So I haven't had to deal with them yet because I know it can get quite costly and quite expensive. Hmm. But, um, you know, any... Any good municipal planner that you could hire to assist you in your project would have, you know, OMB experience. That if you had to go there, um, they would know how to how to handle it. Cool. So, like, there's a lot to this, obviously, and we all know that going in. But do you recommend this type of investment strategy for novice investors? Um, I, I wouldn't recommend they develop their own land. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for a lot of the reasons I mentioned, like there, there are simply too many risks. Um, you know, your, fi- your risk of financial loss is much too great. What, what I would do, um, is they should consider partnering with an experienced developer as a joint venture partner, either where they invest, um, in the developer's project or in a scenario where the investor purchases the land and then brings the developer, um, to the project to bring their vision and their expertise to uh, to the property, and developers love that because they typically don't have to put any capital in for the land, right? Um, and another option out there is, you know, for uh, there's a lot of companies that are promoting things like syndicate mortgages or private equity offerings, which allow you know smaller investors with as little as say, you know, twenty twenty five thousand to participate in development projects. So, for example, you know, syndicate mortgages can pay between eight and sixteen percent per year, and you know they're typically an interest payment plus some sort of bonus contingent on the profitability of the project. And in private equity, you know, typical returns can be north of twenty percent per year. 
and they're usually structured without an interest payment, and all profits are distributed at the back end of the project, so when it's complete. Mm. So for somebody starting out without expertise who wants to invest in development, I would look at something like that first, and then maybe once they get more immersed in how things operate and the mechanics of the project, um, they might consider being a little bit more aggressive and, and doing their own their own land deals at that point. So I guess it'd you know, be pretty tough for 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 somebody just starting out unless they had maybe had uh, twelve fifteen million dollars in the bank just sitting there burning a hole in their pocket or whatever. It'd be pretty hard for them to to start out with this anyway. That you know that's just it, and it's funny because I've seen a lot of not very intelligent people with a lot of money be able to be successful at developers because you know pretty much any problem that can arise if you throw enough money at it you can solve it. Um, so if you have, you know, significant resources and you're willing to take a gamble on it, then, then sure, why not? But if you're, you know, a smaller investor and you're just getting started out in the real estate game, um, you know, you're, you're chewing off a lot without, um, uh, or sorry, you're biting off a lot without being able to chew it. So, well, they'd still need somebody like you anyway, who knows what they're doing <laughs> to, to run the project, really. Well, I mean, just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean, and throwing money at it is all fine and good, but you still need to know what you're doing. That is true, but you know what? A lot of these guys with a lot of money, they'll just they'll they'll retain a team of people as opposed to a developer like myself because they want to uh, keep all the profit for themselves, right? Which mm-hmm. you know, not not an unreasonable uh, you know proposition in our capitalist society, but um, you know, certainly comes with a greater degree of risk for them. Yeah, because right. once you start, I, I, the money you throw at the problems is going down the drain. That's just it. And, and I think anyone's first go at it, they should have somebody experienced involved, either as a, a project manager or a partner in the deal. And then once they, they can absorb um, that knowledge from that person, I think they're well-equipped to do their second one on their own. So, Blake, what are you looking for in a partner? Like, Who would be your ideal uh, JV partner? I'm always open-minded to partnering with the right people. Uh, for me, the right people have to have a number of key attributes. Um, you know, for starters, mutual trust is huge. Without trust, you have nothing. Uh, a shared vision is important. You know, do they share my vision for the community that I want to build, the product type I want to deliver, and and really the overall customer service experience that I want to create for my home buyers. Some developers and investors are more interested in building, you know, quite frankly, a, a garbage product that maximizes return rather than creating a product that has a legacy of quality. Uh, for me, I, I want to see what I have built 20, 30, 50 years from now and know that, you know, I can hang my head with pride knowing it's something I built and that it's been lasting. You know, not all developers share that philosophy, right? So the people that I work with will share that. Uh, that view. And, you know, this applies to everybody I hire, um, especially people that are, are going to have an impact on what my end user buyer sees and touches and smells and, and lives in. And I'd say in that sense, you know, really your builder, your realtor, your interior designer, and your architect are, are going to be your crucial hires. And I apply um, the same philosophy of partnership that I do when I hire those professionals as well. Um, I'd say a, a complementary skill set. You know, any time I bring in a partner, I, I know my strengths and weaknesses, and I'm going to entertain a JV where somebody comes in and, and 
bring something unique and something I don't have. And, you know, I can give them the freedom to do what they're great at and they can give me the freedom to do what I'm great at without, without tension. Right. And, uh, lastly, I, you know, I love working with great people that are pleasant and enjoyable. You know, I, I try to make friends with everybody that I work with and if they aren't somebody I want to spend a great degree of time with, I probably wouldn't want to work with them either. You know, there's enough, there's enough egos in this business and in this town that, uh, you know, you don't need them in your partnership. So I try to avoid it if I can and, you know, pick, pick people that I, that I love to be with. How involved is the investor? Do they have an influence over your product or I would imagine it's more just they sort of have to mesh with your vision of what the product is? Yeah, you know, it really depends. Um, if you're bringing in a joint venture who, let's say they're going to finance the majority of the project, um, you know, that's somebody who can probably write a seven-figure check. They're going to want, in my experience, some degree of control mm-hmm. or at least um, to be actively involved and communicated with in terms of what's happening. Um, you know, if they're that successful, they're probably a person that you're going to want to rely on for some expertise because they probably have a lot of guidance and a lot of business success that they can share. So I'm certainly not closed to um, getting input from people who partner with me. But at the same time, if you if you are, say, syndicating a project where you might have to pool, you know, five, ten or more investors to help finance the equity, um, you know, you're never going to get consensus with that many people, right? So in a scenario like that, I'd say the, the developer is best left to do their thing mm-hmm. and the investors will be more involved in a passive role. Perfect. I'm just going to jump back a little bit because sure. you said um, when you were looking at purchasing the land itself, you would try to put a clause in there for you know a year to get the municipal approval. Is that what you said? Correct, yeah. Something like that. And it probably takes pretty close to that amount of time to get everything looked at yeah just for starters i mean uh you know typically you have three three steps in getting approval you might have zoning um and then draft plan approval and site plan approval which are all different stages and all have different requirements and they're all separate so just because you get your zoning approved doesn't mean you're going to get your site plan approved and and so on and so forth right so you know typically zoning is the one that i would say you know, it's pretty important to have before you own the land, um, or at least an idea with the municipality that they're going to be supportive of what you want to do with it. Um, you don't necessarily have to have site plan approved land before you close on it. Um, you know, site plan approval can typically take, um, you know, a matter of a couple months where zoning can, uh, you know, take, uh, you know, a year or longer in some communities. Well, I just thought that was really interesting because, I mean, that almost seems like one of the most important things to have in a, a purchase agreement, really, when it comes to this kind of thing. Well, I mean, back back in the day, like, say, in the 90s, um, you know, and several years ago, when, when development was not as robust, it was pretty easy to get those terms on a land purchase. It is much harder today because, for the reasons I mentioned, I mean, if, if you... 
if you offer that, you know that some guy down the street who still sees the value in owning land, whether it's zoned or not, is going to be making an all-cash offer. So that's who you're competing with. Now, the good news is that if you buy a property you can't get your zoning that you need, you know you're probably going to find another buyer um, out there who's willing to take it off your hands. So you know, you're know you probably not going to be caught in a situation where you have a worthless piece of land because someone else will come and buy it and they'll try to do something else with it or maybe try a different approach to what you were trying to do already. Mm. So, so what you're saying is you want a guy like me to go out and find you land in the path of growth uh, off the market, private deals, and bring them to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, you nailed it. And 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 the great the great little ones for smaller developers to start out are, you know, the little infill projects where, you know, you're on a main road and maybe it's an old rural property that you know the city has grown around it, but it's a small site, maybe half an acre, you know, and there's an acre beside it, and you can kind of buy them as a package, or you know, I, I'd say anything less than a couple acres is a really good starting piece of land you don't want to be you know doing a hundred acre development your first go at it Uh, it's making some alarms go off in my head (laughs) interesting okay what real estate investing book would you recommend to our listeners you know what i i think um i love rich dad poor dad by robert kiyosaki and i'm sure it's one you've probably heard on the show before and many entrepreneurs uh, rave about it and attribute their success to it. Um, you know, I, I I love it. It's not a how-to book. It's not a get-rich-quick philosophy. But it really, reading that book really opened my eyes to the investment portfolios of wealthy people and how they make financial decisions. And it pushed me and and drives me, and still does every day to uh, create a great business as well as invest in real estate. Both of which I believe are core pieces for anybody who wants to create lasting, sustainable wealth. And of course, I took in that book the same way as I do with every book. Uh, I was listening to it, and I remember when I first listened to it, I called my wife right away. Well, you know, because you do kind of, something clicks. And I called her right away, and I said, Jen, we got to sell the house. We need to be renting. (laughs) So uh, that's a great book. You know, for me, I, I read that book back in 2004, and I guess, you know, 10 years ago. And, um, you know, the first time I read it, like, I kind of, I absorbed it, but it kind of went on my shelf and didn't really uh, change the game for me. But, you know, I, I mentioned earlier in my bio that I knew a family friend who um, has been very success, successful in his business. And I asked him the same question. I says, what's a real estate book I can read? And he says, read that book again and i read it again and and after my conversation with him you know i saw things in a different way and um you know seeing now how he operated his business and how he built his asset base based on those philosophies for me it really started to make sense cool and you know it's the same kind of thing with um self-development but like i know i hear what you're saying um when you first read it it's hard to kind of grasp all of that stuff and it's the same with any personal development kind of material where 
I mean, however many, 10 years ago, if you had have asked me to read a, a Tony Robbins book, I would have said, you know, oh, the, why would I want to read something like that? That's all just baloney, right? right? But, I mean, there's so many um, things in there that can really help you improve if you just if you just look for them. You can get a great audiobook just like the one mentioned here when you go to breakthroughreipodcast.ca slash audible free trial. And you know what's another cool book I was just thinking of is um, just going back to your early on in this episode, your story there, Blake, was uh, a, a book called Never Eat Alone. I don't know if you guys have heard of that by Keith Ferrazzi. I've heard of it. I haven't read it yet. I was just thinking because you, you were mentioning that first lunch you went on with the developer, right? And how it yeah. kind of catapulted your, I guess that was almost the kickstart into your career here, right? Into this. I, that, that book's a cool book too, just about... I, the basic concept is just eat with somebody every day, and it's kind of a networking and relationship building book. But it reminded me of that. I t- I totally agree, and you know when I when I look back at at my business career and you know some of the successes I've had and and some of the contacts I've made, I'd say seventy to eighty percent of them were either made or solidified either over a meal or on the golf course. Yeah. So if there's anybody in business, and I know Sandy, you're you're really not a good golfer at all. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, I can hit more. I can hit at least four to seven fairways. I think there, yeah. there you go. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I, I think you know anybody who who wants to be in business, I think, I think those are two things they really need to um, to capitalize on is just you know be be in front of people, whether it's via lunch or around a golf or a networking event. Um, and just be a sponge and and try to absorb as much information as you can from people that are where you want to be. Does it count if it's a four-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old? You know what, kids, I, I've got a five-year-old, and he challenges me in, in new ways, and he pushes me to be better in, in a lot of different ways. So, you know, whether they're, they're two, five, or 85, um, you know, I think everybody has something they can teach us, right? Yeah. Again, I think challenge is the right word for that. Yeah. All right. So, Blake, what would be your number one tip then for investors who are new to real estate development? You know what? Definitely surround yourself with the right people. Um, I've realized as a newer developer, you know, your ability to execute a successful project is is highly, highly predicated on the people you, you bring in. And just because, you know, you're new, it doesn't prevent you from hiring the best builders, designers, realtors, architects, engineers, planners. Um, you know, I recommend only hire people who work with other top developers. Um, you know, you can learn some of their trade secrets and, and bring those people into your team and make you better, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you know, you have to understand your, your role as a developer is not to be the expert in all things, but to be able to successfully lead influence and manage those people who are great at what they do and you know remember you're the conductor of the orchestra but you also have the most to gain or lose if the project doesn't go according to plan so the buck stops with you and don't forget that awesome so uh you're pretty active online twitter and whatnot where can people learn more about you where's the best place for them to go yeah they can connect with me on on twitter i'm very active Uh, my handle is blake wyatt b-l-a-k-e W-Y-A-T-T, all one word, and uh, or they can email me. Uh, it's Blake at WyattDevGroup.com, um, or they can call me, have a chat, 905-616-2410. 
I really, we really do appreciate you coming on tonight. This, this has been a great interview. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Oh yeah, there's tons of value in there for sure. Uh, really hope uh, people got some some good information there and I hope people take it and do something with it learn and uh, and take some action to maybe invest with someone like Blake or just to use it for themselves to, to grow and grow their own business or grow their investment portfolio yeah this really is a different like a totally different um, offshoot of the topics that we normally do on the show so this is a way that someone who wants a um, a more passive role can really get involved with uh, some really cool and exciting projects. Yeah, thank you. And, you know, just to add to that, like I was saying earlier, you know, I hope that people who listen to this, if they're maybe involved in other areas of investing, whether it be commercial, residential, student housing, I, I, I hope that what I've been able to share will give them a different perspective. And, for example, if you're looking at, um, you know, say two different student housing uh, complexes that you want to purchase to understand how a developer would approach the purchase may heavily influence their ability or, or their willingness to buy a certain one over the other because they might see now hey you know what maybe this one 10 15 20 years has the potential to be condos or maybe this has the potential to be on a light rail line which i know is going to significantly improve my land value um so if they get anything out of that, I, I really hope that they can understand that that little piece of information could literally make them millions of dollars in terms of, of asset value in the future. Mm-hmm. Okay, and one last thing. Again, just check out Blake's Twitter. I, I, I really like it, so I suggest that everyone goes and checks it out. And congratulations on your 1,000 followers. <laughs> Thank you. Today, so that's at Blake Wyatt. Yeah, I'm at 102 or 1,002 uh, since then. <laughs> Perfect. Maybe we'll be at eleven hundred after tonight. Nice. Okay. Good. Sweet. Okay. Hey, Thanks a lot. Have Blake. a great night. Thanks so much, guys. You too. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. If you're interested in investment opportunities with us, go to BreakthroughREI.ca.